Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The text that that was read is in Mark chapter 10, verse 28 through 31. There are are three places that this particular event takes place in the New Testament writings, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew records it in Matthew chapter 19, and Luke records it in Luke chapter 18, and then then it's recorded here in Mark 10, and the context of of the text that I've chosen has to do with a, a question, <coughs> excuse me, a question that was asked by a young man who came to Jesus and asked him what good thing he had to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus' response was that he should keep the commandments. Then the young man asked the follow-up question. He said, well, which ones, basically? What, what do I have to do? <coughs> excuse me. And Jesus told him, and he, he, he listed the commandments that have to do with our relationship to our fellow man. And when he finished, the young man said, Well, Lord, I've done all these things. Now what? Jesus said, Okay, now you take everything you have and sell it. Give to the poor and come follow me. And of course, that was a shocker to the young man. And it, the text says he went away sorrowful. Because he had much goods. And then Jesus entered into a discussion about riches. And he said, how hard is it for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God? He said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And at that point, he also had a confrontation with his disciples because they, they thought something, something's going on here that we, can't under, we don't understand. Now, Mark does mention the fact that Jesus says it's not just the riches, but he said those, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, at that point, Peter said something that, that's very interesting. And that's in the text that we've chosen. Peter said, Lord, we have left all and have followed you. What then shall we have? Is how Luke records it in his context. So Peter said, we've left all. What shall we have? There are a couple of things that we we see in this, and sometimes we miss it if we're we're not careful. First off, Peter said, and he's in this context, Because Jesus told this young man, you've got to sell what you have and give to the poor. Come follow me. And Peter said, and it it dawned on Peter, he said, "Uh uh-oh, something's going on. He said, because we've already left everything behind. We don't have anything to sell and give to the poor. That's what he's saying. That's what Peter's saying. He said, Lord, we've left all and followed you. What will we have? If we can't sell and give everything to the poor, how can we get something? 
Well, that's, that's, of course, one of the things that had to come into the mind of Peter because that's the context of this text. And Jesus said, There's no man that has left his house or his brethren or his sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake and the Gospels. So, let's look at this from two different aspects. The first is, Peter may be saying, Lord, we want to enter the kingdom, but we don't have anything to give to the poor. That could be what he's saying. Remember, that's what happened when he was in, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's in the city of Jerusalem. He's going into the temple. He and John, the record is in Acts chapter 3. He and John were going into the temple, and they encountered a man who was beggar, a beggar, and he was crippled from his youth up. And he asked Peter for alms, and Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. <laughs> so again, we're looking at a man who says, I don't have anything to give to the poor. I don't have anything. But he said, Such as I have, I'll give you. And he told the man to rise and walk, because Jesus had given him that power to do that very thing. The idea is, Peter's speaking on the behalf of some of the men who were at, at that time with Jesus, and he's telling Jesus, we have left everything. We've left all. Now what shall we have? What do we get? If we can't give anything to the poor, what, what can we have? Well, those who have left all, you know, and, and we look through the New Testament and say, well, when did these guys leave all? When did they leave everything? When did they follow Jesus? And we can, we can go back and find records of some of them that did. There are some that did. And we can see what they did. Well, all of them said that they did. But basically, Peter's saying, we've left all. And he's speaking on the behalf, probably, of his brother, Andrew, and of his partners in the fishing business, James and John. Because we know in, in Mark chapter 1, at verse 16, that when Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew's brother casting a net into the sea, they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. Straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further hence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. Straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. So, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, actually after the imprisonment of John the Baptist, they were confronted by Jesus and they walked away from their fishing business and followed Jesus. So now Peter is without income, basically. He doesn't have the wherewithal to do what Jesus just told the young rich man to do. The same may be true. We, we find another fellow that did the same thing, but we have to look carefully at what he did. Matthew was a tax collector, and his other name, Matthew, before his name was Matthew, he wrote the book of Matthew, by the way, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, his name was Levi. He was a tax collector. So in Luke chapter 5, at verse 27 through 29, the text tells us this, that after these things, talking about Jesus, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. 
And the text says, and he left all, rose up and followed him. Now we have another concept involved here. What does it mean that he left all? Did he leave his business? Did he leave his family? Did he leave his friends? What did Levi leave? What did Matthew leave when he said he left all? Because the very next thing we hear is, in this same context is, Levi made him a great feast. He still had a house. So he made a great feast for Jesus. And he said, he, he invited his publicans and others, friends, company of publicans and others, and sat down with them and ate with Jesus. So Levi did not leave his business behind, apparently. But it says he left all and followed him. So he may have suspended his business activities and went with Jesus. Now, Peter claimed that he had left all. He meant, basically, that they left their fishing business. They returned to it after the resurrection of Jesus. He did go back to that business. After Jesus rose from the dead, he told Peter and the others that he would meet them in Galilee. And so Peter became anxious, and he, he uh, talked to some of the fellows around him. He said, you know what? He was waiting for Jesus, didn't see him. He said, I'm going to go fishing. So he went back to his fishing business. In John chapter 21, at verse 1 through 3, it says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on the, this wise he showed himself. They were together. Now here's the men that were with him. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two others of the disciples. Peter said unto them, I go fishing. And they said unto him, We'll go with you. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately and that night they caught nothing. Now when Jesus came, of course, he stood on the shore and he told them to cast down their net on the other side and and they, would, they took up some fish, and Peter realized that that was Jesus on the shore. So he wrapped his garment around him, dove in the water, and swam to shore, and was happy to see Jesus. But the point I'm making is that when it says they left all, it does not mean that they left all, left off their former enterprise. That they didn't leave, they just didn't abandon their business in toto. But they left, somehow they left. And somehow they left all. Now, one time Peter had, had the statement when Jesus was talking about giving to the poor, Peter said, I don't have anything to give. We've we after everything. We've after everything. And so Jesus then explained to him, well, you're, you're not, you're not going to go poor. You're not going to go hungry, Simon, because you're going to get something else. You're, something else is going to happen to you. But we do believe that when he said something about leaving all, that he's talking about leaving some things behind in the world that he should have left behind. We assume that they, that they did sustain some loss of family and friends. And to this point, it may be that they had not left their comfort zone yet, but they were going to have to do that. When we talk about leaving things, and of course these men did, and it, it had to be tough on them just to walk away from their business. 
and not know what was in, in their future with Jesus. So they, they didn't understand what was going to happen. And then when Jesus said, you have to, you have to give the poor, they said, we don't have anything to give. And then, what, they, then they said, well, we've left all and followed you. Now, what do we have? And Jesus explained what they'd have, which is something very interesting. But it's often overwhelming to us when we think that we have to give something up. We, uh, it may be akin to a hoarding compulsion. We, we hate to give things up. We may not have OCD, but we may, we may, we may still have that feeling that what we have, we might want to keep. And if we give it up, we may not be able to get it back. That's really a problem that we have when we talk about giving things up. Now, children often exhibit this characteristic when you ask them to share their toys with another child. The first impulse that comes up is, I may not be able to get it back. So the child doesn't want to give the toy up because they're afraid they can't get the toy back. And that sometimes happens. So when we think about giving things up, we, we think about it's mine, and if it's mine, maybe I want it back. You see? It's a compulsion, I guess, that we have within ourselves. We all have it. The practice of lending something that we value involves the innate desire to have it returned. Probably that's why Jesus never mentioned loaning anything to people. He never says loan something. He doesn't say if somebody's hungry, loan them a loaf of bread and they can have what they want and you can have the rest back. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say give them a steak but make sure that they don't eat it all. Have some back for yourself. He doesn't say that. Matter of fact, he tells us if somebody sues you at the law for your coat, give them your coat and your cloak. Give it up. So, essentially, there's a pretty good practice involved when we think about giving things. And that practice is, if we don't intend to give it to them, don't loan it to them. If you don't intend to give it away, don't loan it. And if you can't afford to give it away, don't give it away. But he's not asking us to give up our own means of sustaining ourselves. But he's asking us to share when we loan something to someone, like, for instance, if I loan my neighbor my shovel, I expect it back. And I expect it to get it back with the handle unbroken. That doesn't always happen. So my attitude, in all likelihood, ought to be, if I can't afford to give him that shovel, don't loan it. Probably. Well, we'll see. How about my bicycle? Can I loan you my bicycle? I want it back. I, want, I don't want it back with flat tires. I don't want it back wrecked. I want it back intact. You see what I'm driving at? The idea is, Jesus said that we should give things to people. When we feel like we need to give something to someone, we should do it. A toy, a tool. How about a cell phone? Would you loan your cell phone to someone? Well, I don't think so. There, there, there's complications to this. How about money? 
Again, the principle probably should be, if you can't afford to give it to them, don't loan it to them. So if you're going to say, okay, I know you're in desperate need for a meal, therefore I'm going to loan you $10. When you get back on your feet, give me my $10 back. No, that's not what the New Testament teaches. We all know that. We all know that we need to share with people and give. What did what 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 we're talking about is giving something up for the purpose of following Jesus. And that's what these men were asked to do. To give something up to follow him. And really, Jesus said no man has left his father, his mother, his house, his wife, his children, his lands, for my sake, and the Gospels. So somehow, he's saying we have to have some attitude or disposition of heart within ourselves that we're willing to give these things up. Give them up in order to follow Jesus. Does that mean that we sell everything we have and give to, give to the Lord, give to others, and make ourselves objects of charity? Again, we have to be practical because Jesus was practical about it as well. In terms of giving up things, it, we, we, uh, we know that there, there are powerful emotions that, that come into play when we talk about surrendering something. When I say I'm going to give something up, my first inclination is, will I ever get this back? Will it ever come back? For instance, a person who's smoking says, if I give up the habit of smoking, the greatest fear with them is, will I ever be able to smoke again? The same with drinking. The same with drug addiction. The same with overeating rich foods. Will I ever be able to do that again? That's, that's the powerful emotion that comes up when we talk about surrendering something. Now, Jesus, when, he, when He's talking about this in Mark chapter 8, and He's talking about leaving father, mother, brother, sister, so forth, and Peter said, we have left all. Peter was thinking in terms of, in all likelihood, of giving up what he, what he had as a job, giving up all the goods that he had and so forth. But Jesus is, is extending this far beyond that concept. What he's talking about is that we surrender ourselves to give up something that we really like and need and want in our lives, and we give that up in order to gain something about Jesus and the gospel. Okay. We're not talking about, and of course, when, when we talk about following Jesus, we, we have to define what we're talking about. We're not talking about doing a humanitarian effort, going on a humanitarian voyage or mission. We're not talking about going overseas to help people uh, dig a well for water, because that's that we'll probably have to surrender some time and some money in order to get that done. That's humanitarian. And there's nothing, nothing uh, obnoxious or nothing that anybody would say, hey, 
you know, you shouldn't be doing that because most people will applaud that, that you sacrifice something of yourself to help someone else. That's applauded. And you actually surrender nothing when you do something like that. You gain a great deal. Jesus said, in Acts, not Jesus, but Paul said that Jesus said it. That was, he said, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Okay. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Now, when we talk about following Jesus and giving something up for Jesus, surrendering houses and so forth, family and etc., we have to talk about in terms of taking a position with Jesus that would call upon us to surrender some of the things that we consider to be very important and valuable to us. So what do I surrender that is important and valuable to me? What do I surrender to Jesus for His sake and for the Gospel? Well, it could be property, it could be possessions, but basically it's going to be something that has to do with my lifestyle and the type of person I am and what I'm trying to become. It doesn't require that I have to leave behind property for someone else, leave behind a inheritance for someone else. It probably means something about my leaving behind what I really value in this life that makes me feel comfortable in what I'm doing. Comfortable in my own skin, as, as we sometimes hear it. How, the, how does this happen? When the follower chooses to stand with Jesus... He chooses, or she, chooses to adopt the same worldview that Jesus has. Okay? And when we adopt the same worldview world that Jesus has, we're going to stand apart from the world. We really are. Jesus said it, and of course, He said it in several different ways. First of all, when he was, he was confronted by people in his time and by religious leaders and civil, civic leaders, they asked him what was he doing and why was he doing it? What was he teaching and why was he teaching it? And his response was, I'm doing what my father wants me to do. That got him in trouble. In John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus said unto them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, he's talking about when you've crucified him, when you've crucified me, then will you know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. So, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to find that I'm going to walk away from things that I think are very precious in my life, very valuable in my life. Jesus did. But He said, I'm not walking away from my Father. I will always do what my Father wants me to do. And that's going to bring trouble. And it did. It brought serious trouble to Jesus. He ended up dying because of what He did. In John chapter 15, verse 18, He says, If the world hate you, He's talking to His disciples and apostles, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Now we're getting a clear picture of what Jesus is asking people to do when he, when he asks them to, to leave everything behind and follow him. He's not saying leave your plow behind that you've been plowing with. He's not saying leave your computer behind. He's not saying leave your bicycle behind. He's saying leave the world behind. Set another standard for yourself. And that standard is my Father. And when you set that standard, and when you set me before your eyes, if you leave the world for me, the world is going to hate you. Now that's what's going to happen. And you're going to lose some things. Well, you say, okay, am I supposed to walk in the same moral path that Jesus walked? Yes. Am I supposed to walk in the same ethical path that Jesus walked in? Yes. And you know, when you do, you're going to follow the same course that Jesus followed, and the world is not going to accept that. They're not going to like that. You're going to be humiliated, you're going to be shamed, you're going to be persecuted. We'll get to that in a minute. But the point is here, we are adopting, when we adopt the principles of Jesus Christ, and the standard of Jesus Christ, we're adopting a moral and ethical standard and code that stands far above any moral and ethical standard of, and code in this world. Far above it. And we're going, to, we're going to commit ourselves individually, not communally, but individually, we're going to commit ourselves to follow that moral precept and principle and that ethical precept and principle regardless of where it takes us. With or without our family, with or without our friends, with or without our goods, our fields, our houses, our homes, we're committed to follow that. Whatever it does. And whatever consequences it befall us because of that. Now the way I figure out what code I'm looking at is I have to look at what the gospel tells me. Because Jesus said, you're following me, and when you follow me, you're going to leave all these things for my sake. Now, I read of nothing in the New Testament other than the statement made to this young man, sell everything you have and give the poor, come follow me. I read of nothing else where Jesus actually compelled anyone to give up their whatever they had, their clothes or whatever, except voluntarily because they wanted to follow him and his code of conduct. That's all he told them to do. Now, in order for me to determine what that code of conduct is, I can see how Jesus did things, but I can also read on the pages of Acts through Revelation what that code of conduct embraces. That's called the gospel. Now, in Romans chapter 1, at verse 1 and 2, Paul said he was a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the record that Jesus is going to reveal in his word. And in Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For therein is written... For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, in order for me to find the proper code of conduct 
and the proper moral precepts that I need to adopt in my life for me to follow Jesus that will essentially cut me off from family, friends, wife, husband, brother, sister, my past. I have to find out what He's asking me to do. And so I read the Gospel. That may, uh, that, that, that's found in several different places, but I want to read one of them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I think most of us understand basically right and wrong, although it's being confused today. And people are trying to confuse the standard of right and wrong. And we're told there is no moral standard any longer. And anyone who takes a moral stance is a fool. Anyone who takes a moral stance is a bigot. Anyone who takes a moral stance and says, I can't do that, is someone that is less than intelligent. So the world is saying, don't follow Jesus along these lines, and don't follow this thing that we call the New Testament. Now, we know that the Bible tells us, and that the New Testament tells us, and the Gospel tells us, that there are things that we should not involve ourselves in, that the world practices daily. So if I don't practice these things daily, you know what I'm doing? I am forsaking and following Jesus. If I quit these things, I'm saying I'm quitting them, not because I think I'm any better than anybody else, but I'm quitting them because I'm following Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9-11 through 11 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now he, he lists these things and says, you used to do these, but you quit. And you know what happened when they quit? Their family said, hey, you're being too straight-laced. You're being too strict. We've done this all of our lives. And now you're saying we're wrong? That we shouldn't be doing these things? You see, the problem is going to be that once you take a stand with the Lord and you set that moral standard that He's given us before your eyes and say, here's what I can and cannot do, will and will not do, then you're going to sever yourself. You're going to say, like Peter, and maybe Peter didn't understand it clearly. He did later, I'm sure. Lord, we have left all. We've left that behind. I don't fornicate anymore. And I don't approve of it. And I don't want you fornicating in my house. And I don't, I don't want to be involved in this. I don't want to get involved in that scene, so to speak. And you know what the world's going to say? What? What are you, a holier than thou? What, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with me is that I decided to follow Jesus. That's what's wrong. And Jesus said, just as soon as you do, the world is going to despise you. Just as soon as you do that. And further than that, Paul said, and this is in the Gospel, he said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now the word reprove means try them again. Make sure you know what's right and wrong. 
Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Reprove them. In other words, take a look at them again. Is this right or is this wrong? Is this what Jesus approves of or disapproves of? So that's what we do. And now, he said it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Well, when you do that, when you decide that you're not going to fornicate anymore, that you're not going to participate in idolatrous practices anymore, that you're not going to be an extortioner, that you're not going to cheat the government out of, out of their income tax, that you're not going to be effeminate, you're not, going to be, you're not going to abuse yourself, you're not going to do these things, then the world's going to say, then we're going to have nothing to do with you. That's exactly what's going to happen. Exactly. Now the practical aspect of this is that we express to our acquaintances why we are leaving. You don't just look at them and say, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore because you're dirty and filthy and unrighteous. What you say is, I am going to follow the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. It doesn't mean that you say, I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. That's not what he's asking us to do. As a matter of fact, Jesus was criticized because he ate with publicans and sinners. He associated with them. Now, if you, if you feel like you can't associate with sinners, Jesus said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you may have to get out of this world because it's full of them. Well, we can't do that. But what we can do is we can say, I can't participate in that. I cannot be a participant in that. I can't do that with you anymore. I did that before. Now, my friend, I had to leave, and everybody else has to leave, those kind of environments. I had to quit doing those things, and I had to quit being with those individuals who were doing those things and say, I can't do this anymore. And you feel the pressure. Now, my family didn't criticize me at all. Matter of fact, my family was glad I quit doing those things. So I didn't, I didn't actually give up family to gain Jesus Christ. But I gave up friends. I did. They were lost, and they were lost for good. Not, not because I didn't want to be friends anymore, but they knew that they were uncomfortable with me around them. I can't, I can't go bar hopping with you anymore. I can't go uh, celebrate an orgy like Mardi Gras with you. I can't do that. Jesus wouldn't do that. I can't go clubbing. I can't talk mean and nasty and use nasty language anymore. I can't do that anymore. Because I'm, I'm trying to follow Jesus Christ. I'm trying to do His will. And when I do that, it may be, I'm not cutting you off. I'm not, cu- I'm not going to cut anybody off. But I'm going to be cut off. I know it. I've experienced it. And some of you have too. We know that common sense would prohibit us from expecting Jesus to participate in and indulge in many of the social events which the world considers to be proper. I have to stand with Him. I want to stand with Him. There are decisions that will stigmatize a follower. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's not that tough in our society. It's not that tough to be a Christian. It really isn't. When we say we're going to leave father and mother, brother and sister and so forth, and we're going to take our stand with the Lord, for the most part, 
the community around us will say, well, that's good because we need that type of person around us, for the most part. But we live in a society and in a country that is prohibited from persecuting us because of that. I'm not going to give my life because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. That's not going to happen to me. I don't believe. I don't believe that's going to happen. I don't believe that I'm going to go hungry because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't believe that. In this country, that's not going to happen. But did you know that in 50 nations in this world that that's not true? There's an organization called the World Watch Organization that keeps tabs of believers all over the world and the suffering that they're undergoing. And in the last year that they kept track, and I'm not sure whether it was 19, whether it was a 2019 or 2020, they tabulated that there were 4,000 people in one of those in all those 50 nations that lost their lives because they believe in Jesus Christ and the community found out about it. They lost their lives. And over 4,000 more were incarcerated, put in prison without legal representation and severely punished because... They followed Jesus Christ. Now that's not going to happen here. You say, well, it might. Well, it could. I I suppose it could. But it is happening right now. And over 4,500 places where these people got together to worship were either completely destroyed or severely damaged because they believe in Jesus Christ. You say, well, how did that happen? Well, it happened on on the uh, village level. It happened on the hamlet level. It happened on the city level. It happened on the state level. North Korea is the worst among all of them. Number one, worst place on this earth to be a Christian because you will lose your life in North Korea if you espouse Jesus Christ and publicly state that's who you believe in. You're going to lose your life. Now that's not, that's not happening here. These families, for instance, would lose their social position. In one of these 50 nations, they'll lose their social position. Let's, let's say the whole village is hungry. The village is hungry. And so the world organization, the world uh, food organization comes along and, and delivers rice for the people to eat. And you know who they will exclude from getting their share? Christians, believers, they don't get their share. Now that's how the persecution happens. They're isolated. Fresh water, fresh milk, whatever it may be, they're going to be excluded. That's how they're going to be persecuted. And that's, that's what's going on with them. Or they're simply incarcerated. They're arrested and taken away from their families. What they're going to do is they're going to lose their families They're going to lose their livelihood. They're going to lose their social position. Their homes and their families and their friends will abandon them. Now that's what Jesus was talking about to some degree. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, we've left all. What shall we have? 
Well, what did these people have? What did the 4,000 people have who lost their lives because they believed in Jesus? What did they have? Well, Jesus said, you're going to have brothers and sisters and family and friends and lands a hundredfold. That's what you're going to get. Well, how's that going to happen? These people lost their lives, but basically, what, what did they get in return for following Jesus? When they step away and they, they say, we are believers in Jesus Christ, what do they get in return? That's what Peter asked. He said, what shall we have? What, what can we get? What do we get? Usually when we give something up, that's what we want to know. I'm going to give up my bicycle. What am I going to get? A motorcycle? I'm going to give up my car. What are you going to get me? A bus? If I give this up, what do I get in return? Well, that was part of Peter's question. And, and Jesus said, you give all this up and here's what I'm going to give you. A hundredfold. Brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, friends, lands, so forth. I'm going to give you that. And our question is, how does that happen? How does that happen if you give up? If people, if you stand with Jesus and your family says, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. And your friends say, I don't have anything to do with you anymore. And some even say, I'm not going to let you eat anymore. What, what do you get? Well, here's, here's what you get. First of all, you gain a sense of dignity because now you are enrolled and you're on the side of good people. That's, you're gaining all those people. You're in, you're in that group now. You, came, you come out of this group that doesn't care about Jesus and now you're standing with people who love Him and people who are good people. You're gaining family in that sense. For sure, you're with good people. You're gaining a, a sense of honor with honorable people. People that have integrity. People that have, that have a sense of responsibility to others. You're with them. You, you're gaining an identity and a dedication with loyal people of God. I think that's what he's referring to. He may be referring to the fact that, that there will be people who are, are also believers who will step up and help you. That's, that's, for, that's for sure. It could happen. But it will also be a place of welcome where people are judged not by the station of life or the cut of clothing they have, but you're welcome because that's where the first are last and the last are first. You're now in the company of a group of people who love the Lord and respect you for who you are and not what you have gained. And you have a seat at the table. You gained a seat at the table. Jesus, the man of Galilee, is at the head of the table and he still eats with sinners and publicans. And best of all, best of all, you gain eternal life. That's what he said. So these folks, this 4,000 that died, you say, what did they gain? What did they gain? They didn't get the family, the friends, the houses, etc. They didn't get, they weren't associated. Well, they were associated with all the other good people. They died honorably. They died loyally. They died with integrity. They died with distinction. They died because they loved Jesus Christ. And they have the reward, he said, of eternal life.
That's what he told Peter. You're going to get eternal life. So when the last page is turned in the book and the last word is written on that last page and it's dotted with an end, at that point it does not end for the believer. It just begins. And it never ends. God help you make that decision yourself to stand with the Lord. Say, Lord, I have forsaken all. And I stand with you.